As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodrigue, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich, how we doing? Doing well, Jordan. It's been a few days. How was your weekend, by the way? It's so unusual to, to get a, a weekend without a, a Rams game. Did, did you watch other football? Did you hang out with your dog, Tucker? I mean, what what, what was the big weekend? You know... I'm kind of maybe even a, a little embarrassed to admit this, but no, I did not watch any football yeah. at all. I, I did not watch anything. I watched the Arizona State Sun Devils kick the crap out of the Arizona Wildcats um, on Saturday night. Was it Saturday? It might have been Friday night even. Does it matter that's at how this I point? Spent, that's how I spent my weekend, not paying attention to schedules or statistics or points. And um, you know me, I love football with all my heart and soul. But man, this little miniature bye week, I think that was just what the doctor ordered in terms of sleeping in, finding a couple of good new breakfast burrito spots for takeout uh-huh. and delivery, driving around with the dog. I mean, it was a pretty, it was a pretty solid weekend, man. I, I'm with you, Jordan. When in my four years on the beat, any anytime there was a bye week or one of these midweek games, I just could not. And I love football. I I will watch any football usually, but it's just kind of like when you get that free day, and you're just like, ah, oh, I just I, I'm going to enjoy my Sunday. I'm going to do something else other than uh, sit and and watch the NFL. So I, I certainly agree with you, and I applaud you, especially for the breakfast burrito. Uh, uh, choice because uh, you have so many options out here, and I, I will be uh, anticipating your list. I think you should put together a list of uh, of great be- breakfast burritos and uh, and present that to the people. Over under, will I have tried the same amount of breakfast burritos as the Rams have tried kickers, or mm. will I have tried more, or will I have tried less? Well, I, I hope you try more. I mean, there's so many <laughs> it's good a race. ones. It's a race at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess maybe until the end of the season. So for your sake, I, I hope it's I hope it's burritos. And, and I guess for the Rams' <laughs> sake, too, I, I hope it's burritos. Um, but uh, yeah, Jordan, I mean, we haven't talked to the to the people uh, since that uh, Thursday night game uh, against uh, New England. I mean, it feels like there's some distance between us and, and that game right now. But certainly a good win to get the Rams to 9-4. and four. They are essentially at the cusp of clinching a playoff spot. There's a lot more to be determined. And, uh, of course, the mighty, mighty New York Jets are coming to town uh, at the end of this week. So uh, they're almost there, right, Jordan? I mean, this is uh, we're, we're not too far away from, from saying that the Rams are, are officially a playoff team. Yeah, you know, a win or a tie on Sunday, and I say that with as straight of a face as I possibly can, Right, a win or a tie against the New York football Jets this Sunday would clinch a playoff spot for the Rams. So, you know, Cooper Cup was on with us this week, and he was very emphatically talking about how you can't count out any team, even if they seem like a really bad team, because anything could happen from week to week. And actually, you've seen the Jets put up a little bit of a fight at certain times. It did feel like firing Greg Williams was like, 
officially throwing in the towel, <laughs> even as if it weren't official enough already, but it, it felt like it was kind of officially throwing in the towel at that point. So I'm not sure, you know, I respect Cooper for respecting his opponent, even though they have lost in some truly incredible ways this season. Again, I, I'm not super worried about this game. I think that the, and I say that too with a straight face, like I'm not worried at all about this game. This is one of those where you you can't even fathom what happens if you lose, <laughs> you know? Right, right. Like it's just catastrophic to even consider the possibility. But I want to go back to Patriot, the Patriots win for a minute because it kind of ties in with it. The Patriots are not a good football team this year, but they have the potential to beat you if you're not on your P's and Q's. And the Rams put together um, a nearly complete game, I would say. I mean, there was some stalling in the fourth quarter and you want to put some scoring drives together. And But but really a nearly complete game. And I was so impressed by especially what they were able to do with your favorite thing ever, the running game. Oh my goodness. Behind young Cam Akers. And then also I was, as usual, continue to be impressed with this defense, Rich. Yeah, I, uh, of course you, you have to start there. I mean, I, I don't care who's who's on the field or or what's going on in the season. I mean, that's still a Bill Belichick coach team. They still have uh, you know a lot of talent on that team, and and to do what the what the Rams did to the Patriots, uh, you know, it's it's it was very impressive. I mean, you can just start there. Uh, we everybody heard about oh the Super Bowl rematch and. And Bill Belichick has Sean McVay's number and, and you know, three points in the Super Bowl game and, and all of that. And uh, look, it, it, was, it was exactly what that game needed to be. And really, I think, Jordan, kind of a microcosm of what this Rams season has turned into. And, and I, I mentioned it in a story that, that I just wrote this week is that basically this is a defense first team now. Uh, and you pretty much know from week to week that your defense is not going to give up very much. And if you can get yourself to 20, 24 points, somewhere in that range, uh, you've got a good chance of winning. And and this was a really good example to me of a, of a game that Sean McVay kind of called with that in mind. You mentioned the run game, and I just, I could not uh, believe my eyes on a, on a 16-play, 90-yard uh, touchdown drive that, that ended up being very important. They ran the ball 12 times, 12 times Look in a 16-play drive. So it, to me, it was it was great. It's not the most exciting thing in the world. It's not very dynamic. It's not throwing the ball all around the field. But to me, it was a great blueprint of you trust your defense and you do what you need to do on offense to get yourself enough points. I, I think it's a great model for the Rams to follow. Yeah, you know, we talked in our last episode about Sean McVay and the Rams offense leaning more toward the higher probability, higher efficiency plays. And those usually happen closer to the line of scrimmage in terms of air yards. He, his air yards per attempt is very low. And his, the, the yak yards that receivers are getting are sort of accounting for these explosive plays that normally when you think about an explosive play, you think of the ball traveling through the air 20 plus yards, but instead the ball is traveling a short distance through the air and then on the ground the, the rest of the way. So, we talked in depth about that last last episode rich and and it's interesting too because here is where you can actually see some complementary football take place it's exactly in what you said if you have those high explosive air yards plays like they had sort of achieved off and on and then were able to go over 30 like many many times you probably are expecting to maybe go over 30 points per game but because you are going for these sort of more efficient um, sort of passing attack plays and complementing it in the run game, you now are asking your defense to be very, very good because you're just you just know you're just not going to be scoring as much. That's just the bargain that you sort of strike. Right. And the Rams defense all season has just continued to step up in that regard and giving the given the offense a shot to say, hey, get to 24, get to 21, and we'll do the rest of the work. And if you have a complementary system in that regard, then you're still able to continue to strike with those, you know, shorter passing plays, but they are higher probability and higher efficiency. And you're, and you're utilizing a bunch of different receivers. You're moving into more 12 personnel, like we saw over the last two games. They've um, you know, doubled their use of, if not more than doubled their use of 12 personnel throughout the game because they've been blocking their butts off. And 
so it's just it it's it's really really been interesting to me because here is now when when people ask okay well when when are they going to play complementary football was this really complementary football I think it's it's exemplary of what the bargain was this year where you know you you are forsaking this really high powered complete aerial attack because you're running the ball more and you also are helping your quarterback out and in turn counting on your your quarterback to be consistent and execute these higher efficiency high probability shorter passing yards plays that then turn into longer plays but they don't they're not the ones that are going to be like all right okay, there's six, and then now you're back on the field. Instead, you want to put more methodical drives like the one we were just talking about together. And so then your defense has to step up. So I, I think that that's such a, an interesting – if you pull, if we pull back a little bit and sort of look at it as if we're looking at that little universe in, in the movie Men in Black, like this is kind of what we're looking at here is, is this example of complementary football. And I think this Patriots game, it wasn't perfect by any means. It was very good, but it wasn't perfect. But it, I, did, I do think that it showed a couple of examples of, you know, exactly what you said, what this Rams team is. Yeah, and on, the only thing I'd add to that is that the, the low-key drive that I really liked was the first one to start the fourth quarter, and the Rams are up 24 to 3. Uh, they get the ball at their own 30 after a punt. They run twice, pick up five yards. It's third and five. They run it again to Cam Akers. He only gets three yards, uh, so it's fourth and two, and they have to punt it away. But that, to me, was the ultimate sign from Sean McVay to say, you know what? We're up by 21 points right now. It's the early fourth quarter. Our defense is going to win this game for us. What we have to do right now is not make a mistake, is not turn the ball over, not give the Patriots any momentum, and that's exactly what they did. They punted it back to the Patriots, and guess what? Four plays later, the Patriots punted it back to them. And that, that was, uh, to me, I mean, it, again, it wasn't the most exciting thing to watch in that fourth quarter, that's for sure. But it was a sign to me of a head coach who's in a, and an offensive play caller who looked at that game and said, you know what? Our defense has this game in hand. We don't need to do anything special right now, and we definitely don't want to do anything dumb. And and I thought that was a really smart and and maybe kind of an evolution by Sean McVay to say, hey, you know what? We we know what's winning us this right. game right now. So, uh, but Jordan, what about, so <laughs> let's go to, we all have our favorite subjects and and uh, oh, I, I know one of yours <laughs> is the running back rotation. So look, Cam Akers, you, you can't say anything other than he looked really good. And it's it's not just the yardage. I, I loved the way he was running the ball. He was running it with purpose. He was doing a good job of finding holes and, and making good reads. I thought he had a very good game. So Jordan, uh, <laughs> the, the, for the for probably the ninth time this year, uh, what does this mean? Uh, do, do you anticipate uh, that you know this is going to be even more of the Cam Akers show going forward, or will he kind of fall back into more of a rotation? Well, something striking to me that Sean McVay said was that they immediately felt Cam get into a rhythm early in the game. And and that was extremely apparent also as well. Um, and, he, you know, that first drive and then, you know, the second drive, I mean, it was just he had a he had a great game all around, but he he really just exploded onto the scene in terms of running very intentionally and and very angrily and exploding out of his gaps very well and being patient when he needed to and um, even got worked into the passing game a few times, which you know I love to see on some of these blitz-beating plays. Um, you know, it, it's – I think that it has everything to do with what Sean's comment was, which was he found his rhythm right away. I think at times they've had an issue with establishing who might – have that rhythm. And then it's almost like, what's the magic number there of carries because for each guy, because you could be waiting for maybe the next play to pop. And maybe that's the one that gets the guy into his rhythm, but then maybe you've waited too long. So the fact that Cam was able to get into that rhythm extremely early um, is definitely a credit to him. It's also a credit to the coaching staff that they didn't then pull him. Um, they spelled him a couple of times, but in natural situations, and he ended up carrying the ball 29 times for 171 yards, which unless you've been living under a rock for the last five days, you already know. <laughs> but what's interesting to me is is that they they kept feeding him, and I like that they did that. They spelled him for two carries 
um, from Daryl Henderson, and you know they they worked him into passing down situations as well. Um, and they had Malcolm Brown in for passing down situations sometimes. And I think that was such an efficient way to do it when you have a clear hot hand. Now, I think it would be smart to try that again and keep trying it until maybe one game it doesn't work for you and it's somebody else. But the point here is that you've got a pretty fresh stable of backs with three games left and a postseason. And so whatever has happened up to this point, the Rams are about to be 10 and four. And, you know, you have a pretty fresh group of running backs. So at this point, it's it's like, all right, you know, keep feeding Cam if that's what's working for you. If if you all of a sudden, if Daryl Henderson all of a sudden takes a spell carry and breaks open, you know, a 15-yard run, then maybe feed him again and see how that goes. Right. But it's it's like establishing that rhythm is clearly what's most important. And I think it's taken them a while to do it in part because of these injuries, in part because sometimes it just doesn't work with, with how they execute on third down or um, they set up longer you know, must pass situations or, or things like that. And so they have to sort of start the rotation over again. But the fact that they showed that they're willing, not just in one game, but two in a row now to really lean on someone as a workhorse back when he is showing that he can handle that workload. Um, I think that that was really, really telling. And so kind of goes back to what you're saying before. It's like, all right, this game kind of was indicative of probably what their plan is moving forward. Yeah, exactly. And I think you also make a great point about the the freshness of, of these guys too, especially for a, a rookie running back. I mean, you know, Cam Akers just coming out of college, I, I don't know how many games he, I'm, I'm guessing he plays probably 12 games at, at Florida State and maybe gets in the neighborhood of 200 carries. Uh, so for some of these guys, you, you can come in and all of a sudden, oh, now you're playing 16 games and and now you're being asked to carry the ball even more and every week. And and I, I don't know. So these guys are obviously young and they have you know fresher legs than an older guy. But I have to think at some point you might be in danger of hitting that wall a little bit. And, and now – uh, works out very well, assuming you know Cam can stay healthy and all of that. I mean, he's he's can just start start to rev it up right now uh, with three games left in the regular season, and then you know we'll see how many playoff games uh, there will be. But it's not at the point where you go, oh man, you've been pushing this guy for the last twelve weeks or whatever, right. and, and you got to worry about how much he's got left in the in the tank. Uh, there's a lot there. And you can say the same about Daryl Henderson too. You can say the same about Malcolm Brown. It's not like any of these guys have been has been excessively uh, leaned on and things like that. So I, I think you have to feel good about that. Um, this Jets game, I, I don't know whether uh, it'll be a true barometer. I, I don't know how much you'll see. <laughs> you know, the Rams have a couple big games coming up uh, after that against Seattle and, and Arizona. So I'm not saying they. They, you know, dial it back or they presume a victory or anything like that. But uh, you, you could p- potentially see a little bit more of a basic uh, a game plan uh, than, than you might against those those other two games. But yeah, just just really impressed by by Cam Akers. Like I said, you can uh, you throw out the stats. I don't even care what the what the numbers are. Just just watching the way that he ran the ball and and the confidence that he seemed to have and the the you know the understanding of what was going on on the field. Uh, that to me was, was just very impressive and, and a, a good indication perhaps of, of what's to come. Yeah, I think so. And, and, you know, it's all about kind of your perspective of how you look at what they've done with the running back by committee up to this point. I think if you play fantasy football, you're like, Oh, why can't I just have one answer? Why can't I just know who it's going to be? And, you know, maybe even at times, and certainly if you're a opposing defense, you're thinking, oh, nah, why can't I just have one answer? Why can't I know who the back is going to be? Well, even in sort of the murkiness of the, you know, which back is going to get the, the lion's share of carries or sort of the, the arrhythmic areas and sort of the touchy spots that you've seen throughout the course of this season – you really were not having huge problems. There was a couple of games where you couldn't get the run going, um, but you weren't really having like these crazy, insane problems. And you and you also weren't dealing, for the most part, with um, with crazy injuries. And so now it's kind of like, well, are you still frustrated that you didn't know for you know nine weeks, ten weeks? Um, who the lead running back was going to be, or are you actually going to view it as 
hey, man, this is kind of great because all three of your backs are pretty fresh. And, you know, you you have now this situation where you you could use any one. Well, I would probably say two out of the three. You could use two out of the three um, in sort of feature situations. And obviously, you I think we're leaning toward Cam Akers right now just because, again, not just the stats, but the way he's running – but again, it, it's kind of all about perspective. I think if, you, if you're if you not a fantasy football player with Cam Akers sitting on your roster, you kind of understand this is probably how it was going to go anyway. And kind of what I cautioned at the beginning of the season, I was like, listen, by the end of the year, this rookie back, he's very good and he's probably going to overtake Daryl Henderson in terms of the workload and the touches. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to use Daryl Henderson. It just right. kind of depends on who the fresh back is. And also who the hotter hand is that week. And, and it's definitely Cam Akers' number this week. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I think maybe it just took a little bit longer than, than people. Yeah. And there were, there were some fits and starts along the way, too. Because, I mean, these guys, you know, they, they each dealt, dealt with their injuries uh, at different points. So you, you need, it didn't feel like kind of a natural progression. It kind of felt like, you know, it was, it was a little bit of, of stalling out and then trying to restart it again. And um, so, so if, if they are, and it, it really does look like uh, they're, they're on this trajectory now, then yeah, I, I absolutely agree. It's, it's what you want. It's, it's Daryl Henderson in that complimentary role where he can come in and yeah, if, if he's feeling it, if he starts breaking off a couple, then, then absolutely, you know, give, make, give him the hot hand or give him the, the hot hand treatment. Um, Malcolm Brown still has a role there. He can come in and, and be a valuable short yardage back, a pass protector, uh, things like that. But I, I think you have to be encouraged if you're the Rams to see this kind of development uh, from, from Cam Akers. Like you've written about it, Jordan, throughout the year. I mean, had the the challenges that he had and not being able to be on the field, even being on the practice field. Uh, so it, it probably, the, the, the progression of the, tra- the trajectory probably wasn't what they hoped for uh, back in, in September or what have you. But uh, I think, uh, again, assuming it can stay on this path, it's, it's, it's probably real good news for that offense. Yeah, I, I agree. And again, I think you and I, even though we can be snarky at times and especially so in our Slack what? channel, what? especially in our Slack channel, which none of you will ever see, hopefully. Um, oh, but um, some some good puns in there. I guess it sort of depends on your opinion of puns. But, um, <laughs> but you know, I think we're kind of optimists in general, right? Because really, this is what Sean McVay likes to call champagne problems, you know, and however cliche or not or coach speaky that phrase is also a name of a song on the new Taylor Swift album, by the way. Yeah, you don't <laughs> have to tell me. I was educated on um, last week. You know, it's it, it's it's something where you're like, all right, yeah, maybe we had we had a little issues trying to get it figured out. And yeah, we had a little bit of an injury. Um, gnarly rib injury suffered by Cam Akers early in the season. But like, you know, we're in a good spot right now. So now we just focus on what's ahead of us. And I'm very interested to see how they're going to manage this workload between, and I think we've kind of established where Malcolm Brown is, but between Cam Akers and Daryl Henderson, I am extremely interested in this because how do you find, like, this is the question I've been asking all year and and have not gotten more than a coach speak answer on it. Like, how do you literally find that palpable shift in rhythm? How do you know? Mm. It's not like you're, it's not like you've got like a freaking turkey turkey timer and the button pops out when when like the turkey's done. Like right. it's it's really it you how do you know when when a running back has clicked into place? And yeah, you can see it when you know in the way that they're running and especially if they're accumulating the stats, like that's pretty obvious. But there have been times when they haven't been accumulating those numbers early on in a game. So yeah. that's been what's been so fascinating to me. Um, and something that I'd like to keep pressing on because I would just really love to know <laughs> yeah. how you do that as a, as a coach. And, you know, Sean credits Thomas Brown for being the guy really with his finger on the pulse there. And um, I had mentioned a couple times that because we're seeing Sean McVay's um, offense co- kind of come back to being so predicated on a solid foundational rushing attack, um, Thomas Brown to me is someone who could very well be sort of the next in line if they, if, and when they ultimately do lose Kevin O'Connell to a coaching job down the way, 
Thomas Brown is is really, really building that trust um, with Sean McVay. Definitely has play calling experience and is so dialed into that running backs room. And you're starting to see sort of um, you know that that labor of love start to um, sort of put forth and, and produce in the way that it was supposed to. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Um, you know, Rich, it's a terrible segue on my part, but speaking of offensive coordinators, <laughs> yes, you have a great column out um, at theathletic.com, Athletic Los Angeles, and this is, this is not a drill, people. Get your butts over and read Rich's column, and it's very, very good, and Part of it, I think, was a little bit of a flex, Rich, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give you your flowers here because Rich was one of the main people who was saying, and I think wrote the the piece on the fact that Sean McVay last year needed to hire an offensive coordinator, and now we're seeing sort of the the fruits of that, right? And that's not all. This column covers everything that you know we thought we knew about the Los Angeles Rams. Certainly me covering or watching, looking on from like 3,000 miles away was not super focused on some of these plot lines. But, you know, Rich was dialed in to all of this stuff. And I just think it was so fascinating to sort of do this retrospective on, okay, here's all of the things that they did. Here are the changes they made and what people thought about them at the time. And here's what they actually are. Yeah. And I will, I appreciate your kind words. I, I will also own up to the fact that, that uh, I made my own mistake in, in and out uh, analyzing these sort of things, because I, I also wrote a column last year that said basically that they'd be making a mistake if they, fi- if they let go Wade Phillips, uh, which at the time I didn't necessarily think it was about Wade Phillips. What I thought would happen potentially was, oh, it's going to be a, a relatively disappointing season, nine and seven, you don't make the playoffs. Somebody's got to feel the heat for that. It's going to be Wade Phillips because Sean McVay is the offensive coordinator and he's not going to fire himself. So what I was afraid was being set up there was kind of almost like a scapegoat situation. Uh, But it turned out I was very wrong about that. Um, And what was actually going on was Sean had this, I I think he had a bigger vision in mind. I I don't know whether he's ever really talked about this specifically, but but across the coaching staff, I I think he wanted to remake it a little bit. And I, I think he wanted to get back maybe to a little bit more of what he had in 2017 and 2018. And the point that I wanted to make in the in the column this week is that I, I think it had a lot more to do than just with X's and O's and specific schemes and things like that. Um, the, so much of what Sean did in 2017, uh, you know, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, Rams fans who followed that, that team and that timeline – he made that team believe. He took over a very bad team mm-hmm. uh, that still had many of those players on the roster from 2016. And the the, the genius of Sean McVay is that that he got those guys to believe. He came in and and opened their eyes, made them believe in him, made them believe in themselves. He made playing football fun. Uh, and and that was really the genius of of what Sean McVay did. And I think over the w- when you win, you start to develop a little bit of a, a burden almost. I mean, it sounds funny to say that, but it's like you start winning, and then it's it's really fun at first because nobody's expecting you to win. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, now the expectations have changed. Now people mm-hmm. are watching us every week. Now it's a failure if we go nine and seven. Um, and, and I think that changes the the game a little bit. And and I think Sean wanted to get back to more of what he had in 2017. And and I think in bringing in Brandon Staley, 
Jordan, you've covered that so well, I don't need to go over that ground again. But it, it was somebody dynamic who could come in and really transform that defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you wrote several months ago, bringing in his own Sean McVay to, to run the defense. And that's exactly what he did. And then bringing in Kevin O'Connell to, to help him out on the offense. I, I think you've seen it, Jordan, even just in, in kind of watching the interviews that Sean does. I, I think he's got a little bit of his spark back. You know, it's he's just he's he seems to be having a little bit more fun. I know how he loves to tell jokes with you guys on the <laughs> uh, on the press conferences, and and that's not something you really heard over the last couple of years. So anyway, long story short, there it's 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 just kind of a look back at you know what what went wrong what uh, went wrong or what was presumed to have gone wrong over over the last year or so. And what was really the reality? And some of that, Jordan, too, is the roster construction. I mean, I'm sure you heard from afar people saying like, oh, the Rams are done. They've they've spent mm-hmm. themselves into oblivion. How could you pay Jared Goff all that money? Oh, look at the mistake you made on Todd Gurley and Brandon Cooks. And oh, it's, it's all over now. The window is closed. And I, I think what we've seen here is that's that's not necessarily true. Uh, if, if you make smart moves, if you draft well, uh, if you if you develop those guys well the way the coaching staff has you can you can keep that window open so it's uh, I, I it was a little bit of a flex I did link to my to my column about <laughs> I noticed the, uh, that I liked that I was yeah like, but you, you know man. what but I also admit that that I was one of the people who got a, a big part of it wrong and and I think a lot of people did look it's it's also still early okay I mean there's there's three games left in the regular season. Uh, you're you're still ultimately going to be judged by the playoffs, so I, I don't think it's mm-hmm. time for anybody to to take a victory lap. But at the same time, I I don't know very many people who uh, and either fans or, or media critics, whatever, who would have said, okay, the Rams are going to be nine and four right now, and they're going to be a game out of first place in the entire NFC. I I don't think you would have got a lot of takers on that bet back in uh, back in August. No, I I don't think really what I saw was like. Um, nine and seven was the most common one that I saw. Some national people were saying seven and nine, which I thought was weird because I was like coming from Carolina and I was like, y'all do realize you have Sean McVay, right? And Aaron (laughs) Donald and, you know, uh, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup and like, you know, when Jared Goff is not turning the ball over, like he's he's making things happen. You know, like uh, Jalen Ramsey, I was like, you guys like, I'm not crazy, right? You still have these players. <laughs> but, right. So that was wild to me. But I, I was someone who thought, okay, you know, this this year is incredibly weird. And I kind of thought, too, and this was before. I think there's a couple – I have a couple of theories here. And um, I'm so glad we're talking about this because it's so fascinating to me. Just sociologically and psychologically, the workings of, of how you – continue to rebuild yourself as a, as not just a human being, but as a, as a football coach and as a front office. And I think that I saw the moves that they made and I was in that camp where I was like, okay, they're trying to keep their window forced open. You know, how, how are they going to do that? They've put the hunk of plywood in the, in the crack of the window and it's, mm-hmm. and it's trying to shut down or what did I, what did I call it on early? I said, their window is like that garbage shoot in star Wars and they have their backs against one wall and it's closing. And then right. their, their feet are now against the other side of it and they're trying to hold it open long right. enough to escape. So that's, that's not what I think anymore. I think that instead now you've, you've gotten to see these clues of, this like self-awareness that I think is so lacking in a lot of front offices and especially the one that they're about to face off against <laughs> on oh Sunday, God. the lack of, there's a, 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 a lot of self-awareness in this Los Angeles Rams um, front office and also in their coaching staff. And first my theory about Sean. So I know that I've made the jokes ever since he revealed to us that he started watching the show. This is us notoriously emotional show. I've been making the jokes like, oh, Sean's just trying to show he's like in touch with his emotions now. Well, in all seriousness, guys, like this, one of my theories is that Sean McVay decided that if he's going to do this, he wants, he he's not going to not be having fun while he's coaching football. Right. And what do you need in terms of him and, and sort of, you know, in my first year getting to know him and covering him, what does he need around him in order to truly enjoy 
what he is doing. Well, football, first and foremost, and and good people on his roster, good people who he connects with, smart football players on both sides of the ball who are understanding the message that he's trying to convey and are generally enthusiastic and practice hard and play their butts off and are genuinely genuinely enthusiastic about life and about the act of playing football. Okay, so that's one. That's a big one. But I think he's had that for in, in this core group, he certainly has had that. And all, a lot of these guys that you're seeing get extensions, those are the people who I'm referring to in this core group. But then also, also to have people around you that challenge you and that kind of piss you off sometimes. And I go back to the first week of training camp when Brandon Staley's defense after a spring, and you said it so well in your column, he basically installed his defense via Zoom, right? Yeah. And they go out the first week of training camp and they kick the absolute crap out of Sean McVay's like four-year offense. Like right. all the same guys, barring, you know, a couple people on the offensive line. And they just absolutely kicked the crap out of them in training camp. They were taking the ball away. They were, um, you know, doing sudden change things. They were doing just, they were, it, it was just so. And Sean was like, I don't want to say frazzled because I don't think he really gets frazzled. It's more like, intensely, you know, like parentheses intensifies. <laughs> yeah. I think that's kind of what he does. But there was like, he was pissed. And so then he goes back in and they have their meetings. And then the next week, it's so much more even because they've adjusted. And I was sitting there and I was like, now that is something special. Because you have now somebody who's sitting in the room with Sean. And this is not just Brandon. This is also Kevin O'Connell. And, and Thomas Brown and, you know, Aubrey Pleasant has been there and Eric Henderson on the defensive line. Like you have these guys who who are are challenging you in various ways, um, but in a way where it's like very collegial and very like, um, you know, very feels very much like a brotherhood of of people who are all kind of in a think tank together and they're not asking each other can we do this? Instead, they're asking each other, why don't we try this? And I think that that's something where if you are a person like Sean, that lights the fire under you and in your soul. Like it really does. And so I think that that's something that really is notable to me is there's just this real genuine, like we love what we do and we love teaching what we do. And we also really, really love like trying to beat the crap out of each other, but in a fun way, you know, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I think that that you have to, it, it kind of goes into what you're saying is like, I'm not sure that I ever got the impression from him in, in 2019 that he was having any fun at all, honestly, because, right. and this is me watching through a window. Like I'm on the, uh, you know, I'm in Carolina at that time, but I didn't get the impression that ever that he was having fun. It was all pressure. What do I have to say? What do I have to do? What boxes do I have to check? I'm supposed to be the boy wonder kind of situation. Well, now it's like, all right, well, now I'm going to be me and I'm going to find what, what I enjoy and I'm going to do what I enjoy and I'm going to and I'm going to push boundaries and try to bring people in who who also believe in doing that and genuinely love this. And and I think that's a huge part of it. And 100 percent, all of that trickles down to the players, too. Uh, oh, they, yeah. They absolutely I'm not saying they sit there watching the press conferences and things <laughs> like that, but uh, for some of them probably do. Some of them. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> but uh, that attitude, uh, because I'm sure it doesn't it doesn't just leave itself at the press conference podium. It, it carries over to the meeting rooms. It carries over to the practice field. Uh, and I'm sure it, it did not feel the same way last year. There's no question about it. It, it felt like there were more. There was a little bit more kind of tenseness uh, to, to the situation uh, and just kind of like, yeah, we, we, we feel the pressure. We feel the expectations. And I, I, it, it was pretty evident from early on this season that, that the dynamic had changed, that there was a, just a more loose attitude. And uh, yeah, it's, it, the, the way it was explained to me back in, back in early in the offseason, you know, after, after they let, uh, if they decided that Wade wasn't, wasn't going to come back, it was, and it was never, let's be clear, it was, it was never a disrespect toward Wade Phillips. It was no. never this, this, he can't do the job anymore. He's an ineffective defensive coordinator or anything like that. The way that it was always presented to me was Sean kind of needs to, to remake this coaching staff in his own image. Uh, he, he did what he needed to do. He got hired at age 30, uh, having never led a, led an NFL team before, he he felt like what he, he he felt he did what he needed to do in that situation, which was very smart. 
Uh, but he was a different coach after three years, and the, the organization was in a different place after three years. And it was time for a little bit of a, of a shift, a little bit of a culture shift. And at the time, you look at it and you go, okay, well, you're, you're taking a big swing here. You might believe that, and that might be correct. But you, you better get this right uh, because that's a, that's a really big move and a, and a really high-risk move. Uh, but look, you, you can't argue with the results. And, and, and the other thing, Jordan, that I would say that I think I also mentioned in the, in the column is to, to your point about the, the, the Star Wars uh, you know, dumpster <laughs> there, um, which I think is just awesome. I'm going to have to go rewatch that after, after we're done recording here. But you know, the way that they were able to do that, the way that they were able to, you know, kind of put that big pole in or whatever is they had to be really good at some of the moves that they made. It is not easy because the critics, I understand it. They when, when you pay that much money to your quarterback, when you pay that much money to your top guys, you are absolutely putting yourself in a difficult spot. There's no question about it. Uh, but and you have to you have to pretty much do everything else right, and and that's really hard to do. But you look at what the Rams have done, uh, just in in draft and development. As I wrote, you know they haven't had a first round pick since Jared Goff, and they won't have one again until 2022. And what have they done during that time? Here's some of the guys that they've drafted and developed: Cooper Cup, Gerald Everett, John Johnson, Samson Abicom. Joe Noteboom, Sebastian Joseph Day, Micah Kaiser, Taylor Rapp, Daryl Henderson, David Edwards, Cam Akers, Jordan Fuller. I mean, those are all guys who they've drafted in the last three years who are already either full-time starters or part-time starters. And, and that doesn't even take into account some other guys who are, you know, like a, a Terrell Lewis who's already kind of showing up a little bit or a Terrell Burgess who was playing a big role uh, before he got hurt. You, you have to do those things well. You have to hit on a Leonard Floyd, uh, a, a signing like that. You have to hit on an undrafted free agent like Dar uh, Darius Williams. You have to hit on a Troy Reader. And to, to the Rams' credit, they've been able to do that. If, if they don't do that, if they don't draft as well as they have over the last three years, if they don't hit on some of these guys, they're not 9-4 and four right now. And, and they're not going to the playoffs. So I, I think you need to, if, if you want to criticize them for, you know, making these, handing out these huge contracts or making these high risk trades, like you, you can certainly do that. That's fair criticism. Uh, but, but I think you also have to give them credit for, for making a whole lot of smart moves that, that have allowed this team to kind of, to stay afloat. Yeah. Well, again, it's, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about self-awareness. Like, you could hand out those contracts and then just that it is what it is and, and like not change the way that you draft, right? Like you could hand out those contracts and say, all right, these guys are going to carry the team and not change or reverse engineer the way that you think about the draft and the way that you acquire talent. But what they did, and honestly, the timeline is a little, it moves a little bit, but really when Sean gets there and and he and Les Snead start developing their relationship, right? Les Snead, who has always been very interested, um, he and his wife, Kara Henderson, have always been really interested in the psychology of decision-making. But when Sean gets there and you're, you don't really technically have a blank slate, like you said, you're inheriting some different guys and, and you need to now start to understand, um, first of all, how to get good and then how to stay good. And part of that is is pivoting abruptly when you need to and not having sort of that ego of, well, we paid Todd Gurley and maybe we'll see if he comes back the next year and he's okay because we paid him, so now we gotta right. keep him. And or or we we paid Brandon Cooks and you know, maybe we're gonna keep trying to throw the lowest probability play in football down the field. Um, over and over and over again, even though it didn't work for us last year, maybe it'll work the next year instead of pivoting into a known certainty of a high efficient shorter yardage play with the yak yards that we have talked about ad nauseum at this point. But it, it's things like that. It's like yeah. reverse engineering your brain into what are my, and I, I've covered this super extensively, actually kind of fell into it on accident because I was curious as to how they, over this, actually, over the summer, I was talking this before I got the job. I was talking with a 
um, decision-making psychologist, Denise Scholl, and she works with hedge funds. At the time, I was covering the Panthers, and I was like, sick, I can get some insight into this hedge fund guy who owns the Carolina Panthers. And instead, we started talking about decision-making in the draft process. And the next couple of weeks, the Rams draft, Rich hands me this major Google document that he assembled all by himself about, um, you know, the, basically the history of this team, which by the way, very helpful. Thank you. And, and, and I start looking at these things and we start having these conversations like, um, holy crap, like, are they, are they following these guidelines? Are they, are they doing these same sort of practices that I had just talked with this um, decision-making psychologist and an expert about and start poking around? And as it turns out, yeah, they have been, they've been unpacking biases. They've been sort of actively, um, working on having functional conflict within their offices. So like, if you are going down a road of sort of the stereotypical football decision. Okay, why am I making that decision? What does that really mean? What are the, the other options? Um, going toward more a, of a um, sort of data-driven financial approach, which does mean if you are going to have these big contracts or even these medium-sized contracts um, for the next four to five years, now you have to pad them through your draft. Well, okay. You have to really nail it in the draft. Okay. Well, how do you increase your probability of nailing it in the draft? Here is every single tool and resource that we could possibly explore and use and, and sort of have the lack of ego to understand that we hardly know even a percentage of what we need to know moving forward. And then how can we learn it? And that's something that um, again, it kind of fell into it on accident, but have been really covering a lot of through, you know, even their process of of identifying and, and then drafting Jordan Fuller. And then I had this big piece on um, Les Snead in which I did talk to Denise Schull about sort of the the draft process. And, and it turns into these, you see these major contracts start to happen. It turns into like, okay, they're really doing this thing at this point. And I right. think that it shows this... Um, almost like this defiance, like who, who says a team has to be like this monolithic thing that, okay, you've got three, three to five years to open your window and then you either win the big game or you lose it. And then, and then you're done and then it's over. And and there's only one real outlier, the Patriots who have been able to keep that window open and, right. you know, nobody can imitate their model. And so, cause you know, no, not all of us have Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and like all this stuff. And it's like, well, who says that there's, either that way or the other way. Like yeah, what if there's a different way? And so that's sure. that's what I'm kind of getting at is like it's it's like well what if what if we try this other thing? And and I think that's so interesting and and really I think indicative of where football needs to go. Um and you see it in some organizations and then you also are starting to see a major gap between these types of organizations and organizations that do consider themselves to be more monolithic. Yeah, you, you have to be nimble. And and like you just said so well, Jordan, I think you have to be honest with yourself. You you have to be able to just take a step back and, and look at what you're doing and and find out whether it's right or wrong or whether there's a better way to do it. And and I think the Rams have been honest with themselves. And you, you don't want to double down on a mistake. That That's another thing is I, I think a lot of it would be very easy for a lot of teams, a lot of front offices to look at a situation and go, well, you know, we made that decision. We signed Todd Gurley to that contract. So that's it. We're going to find a way. <laughs> We're going to power through this. And, right. and Todd Gurley is going to be our running back. And that's that. Uh, what the Rams did was look at that situation and, you know, and say, you know what? This is going to get ugly. This is not going to, we're not going to wear this well uh, by, by cutting Todd Gurley. It's going to make us look very foolish and we're, we're going to have to deal with that, but it's the right thing to do. Right. It's, we've, we've taken a step back. We've looked at our options. We've looked at what we're getting from Todd Gurley and we've said, you know what? It seemed like the right decision at the time, but now it is no longer the right decision. And there's, there's, there has to be a huge ego blow with that. Oh, yeah. You know, to to look at that and say, wow, we really, you know what, whether it's you made a mistake or you didn't anticipate what would happen or it was it was a mistake to pay a running back that much money, period. It's got to take some some, uh, you know, hurt to, to make a move like that. But as it turns out, it was the right move. And that's really what you have to do. And and to have that. Uh, ability, you know, again, I don't know who's in the room making those calls or, or what the arguments are like, but like you said, uh, Jordan, so well, and, and that was a great story you did where you incorporated Denise Scholl and, and Les Snead. 
it's it's fostering that that attitude in your in your organization in your front office to where people can speak up and say, "Hey, this is what I think," or maybe we should do this. And nobody's afraid. Nobody, right. you know, they're not afraid that there's going to be backlash or less needs going to get angry at them or whatever it might be. There's there's that attitude of okay, we we all need to pull together here. We all need to to put our brains out there and and figure out what's best, even if it's un- uncomfortable, even if it's not what we necessarily plan to do. Uh, it's it's the important thing. So yeah, I I think that that kind of that nimbleness and that ability to you know, change directions if you need to. I, I think that more more organizations, more teams would would benefit from from that type of approach. Yeah, and it's almost like okay, the understanding that you could take some short term embarrassment and get roasted on Twitter. Now that we've established that Sean McVay is definitely maybe on Twitter, although we can't find him. Like <laughs> we will, yeah, we will, yeah. But but you <laughs> you kind of take this roasting in the in the short term, right? Because you really freaking hate losing in the long term, right? And it's it's just like this example that I was talking about in training camp. Do I think that first of all, for Brandon Staley to walk into training camp and be in an environment where he feels comfortable kicking the crap out of his boss. Like, first of all, like we, we haven't talked about that enough. And second of all, second of all, for Sean to sit there and, and be like, okay, I'm freaking pissed, man, but all right, I'm going to come back and be better the next week. You know what I mean? That just permeates through. And I think that's, it's, it does start with him in that regard because that, that sort of sensibility really permeates through. I mean, you know, bless his heart but even when you know when Jared's having a terrible week and Sean calls him out and says he needs to take care of the ball better and Jared gets up there and is like he didn't lie to you <laughs> you know right he's like I do have to be better and then you know and we that Jared's a whole other podcast episode at this point but you know it, it's it's one of those things where it's like yeah you can take your your shot and you can have your sort of like um fleeting embarrassment if it means you're pivoting into a better decision, because overall the common thread, and this is probably if if you were to ask Sean to do like a deep psychoanalysis on himself and be like, what what motivates you, Sean? Why why are you comfortable <laughs> doing this? Why are you comfortable making these changes um, at this sort of more rapid pace than I think you see pattern-wise across the league? And, and why are you comfortable with bringing in dissenting voices and why blah, 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 all this stuff? He'd probably just be like, I really freaking hate losing. That's probably what he'd say. Yeah, and I think that's honest. I, I think that is. Uh, I think that is the the motivating uh, factor, and he's, he's, he he would be spot on. What a fun! What a fun study this is, though, all around. Mm-hmm. Don't you think? I mean, even if yeah. you know, I know that we maybe even sound like we're borderline gushing at this point, but it's really because we're storytellers, and this is just a really fascinating story all around. I mean, when you're in it week to week, it's it's interesting enough in itself. But I, I really loved what you did in your column, which was pulled back and and like I said, took that like men in black view of <laughs> the universe in that way and and really started to see okay this is this is where all the pieces started fitting together um and it's really fascinating it it really is and i think that you're going to start to see especially because they've established what their timeline is with these core guys that are locked into place you're going to really have something a fascinating body of work and then in particular the the teams that are starting to separate themselves into we're prepared for life after this pandemic um, in terms of yeah. our data analysis, in terms of how we're going to manipulate the salary cap, in terms of, um, you know, the tough decisions or the the sort of egoless decisions we're going to have to make moving forward. You're really going to start to see and draft evaluation with a truncated college football season, yeah. and and sort of all of these different things that that work behind the scenes, and you're you're really going to start to see which teams have begun to operate in in this sort of fashion, and which teams are kind of clunking behind, and the wheels are coming off, and I think the mm-hmm. the gap will be more noticeable than ever. Um, before, especially in a league that's all about parity and, and wants every team to be eight and eight and, and like, you know, drags everyone down into the mean. And now you're going to really, this, this has been something where now you're going to really see who is prepared for what's next and the new iteration of what the league will be m- sort of morphing into and, and 
sort of the same old, same old. Yeah, and, and by the way, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to paint the picture that oh, the the Rams have figured everything out and no. they're guaranteed to be the winning. <laughs> they'd have y- a kicker <laughs> if they figured. Yes. Listen, but they they'd the, have the, their. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we can get to that, uh, but. But, you know, it, they still have to do these things right. Like I just said, you know, I, I spent a while there talking about, oh, all the draft picks. Well, okay. You know, but if you, let's say you flunk the 2021 draft and and maybe the 2022 draft too, and maybe you, you know, you flunk a, a free agent signing or two, then that can go the other way really quickly. I mean, right. you still have to, you, you can have the, the, the process in place and you can have the right attitude. You still have to make the right decision. So I, I'm, I, I, the only reason I pointed that out is I, I think they've done a good job of making the right decisions. Uh, and, and, but in, in general, Jordan, I, I, I totally agree. And it's, it's one reason I love kind of covering a, a salary capped league is because, and I, I guess to some extent they all are now, although, you know, some of them have softer caps or, or whatever, but, but you, you really, the, the goal is particularly in the NFL, the, the goal is to create parity. Uh, you, you have a hard cap, uh, 32 teams, and that's what really what's fascinating to me is what are these teams doing uh, to try to get that edge? You know, you, you can do things on the field. Yeah, you can have a dynamic offense or a dominating defense. But but what are these front offices doing? Because there's only so much you, you can do. I mean, you have a hard cap. You have to sign a certain number of players. But it's those little games within the games where it's like, what what are they? What what's what's the attitude of the front office? What's the mindset? How are they trying to to get a little edge over over the other thirty one teams? So that's what I, I found really interesting about these Rams and especially some of the some of the stories that you've written uh, over the last few months here is to really kind of get inside that and see, okay, how are they how are they trying to do it different than the other uh, thirty one teams that are out there? So. Uh, Jordan, I, I wanted to to, to to pivot, talking about strategy and things like that. I've been fascinated by this question, okay? <laughs> so, and somebody, I, I wish, I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to give it, uh, the, the person credit. I believe it was uh, on, a, on a tweet somewhere that somebody sent me. So if you were the person, uh, let, let me know and I'll, I'll shout you out on, on Twitter. But the question was, as, as we sit here now, uh, heading into week 15, the Rams are nine and four. They are essentially tied with Seattle. They do hold the tiebreaker right now for first place in the division. Now, the way things are set up now, Jordan, because of the, the, the change to the playoffs, let's say the playoffs ended at this very moment, or I'm sorry, the regular season ended at this very moment, the Rams would be the number three seed in the NFC, mm-hmm. and they would host number six Tampa Bay in the first round. Seattle, with the same record, would, I believe, have the number five seed, and they would play number four Washington football team in the first round. Who's in a better spot there? Would you rather win the division and have a home game against a better team, or would you rather finish second in the division and go on the road to no matter who comes out of the NFC East, probably is not going to be as tough of a team. Do you play that game, or are you just kind of jinxing yourself there by doing that? Do you just try to get as many wins as you can, or do you start looking at that matchup? You know, I think that I would I would take the team that's easier to figure out, and by easier, I mean, maybe that's not the right way of putting it, but Tampa Bay is not changing. They're not changing. They are who they are. Hmm. Um, they're going to be this team through the stretch. And if you can beat them, um, you know, with, with, which the Rams were able to do, and then you can sort of imitate that again against what will probably be them attacking you differently and all these different things. But I, I, I think Washington is scary because you don't, know now who they're going to be because after you know stringing together a few wins in a row they look like a completely different team than when they started the year you can't figure out who their quarterback is going to be at any given moment and you also have to deal with that defensive front that is just just terrorizing people and and taking the ball away and that's you know if I need my quarterback who um has been doing better against blitz pressure, um, yes, but and and handled Tampa Bay, I think, really well in terms of that heavy blitz pressure. 
but has also turned over the football quite a bit um, and, and put him against a defensive line, the iteration of which you have not actually seen in their full form yet. Right. Um, and then you do it. I mean, I know that road games are different this year because there's no crowds, blah, 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 but you're still getting on a plane and traveling and the Rams are really tired <laughs> of doing that. And, sure. you know, they figured it out. They've got their, they got their body clocks down, all of that, but it is a really taxing thing. And so I, I would almost rather, I think, face the better team at home if it were me making the decision, more so because the way that they had Tampa Bay figured out was pretty defined and Washington, to me, remains somewhat of an undefined football team, and I'd rather go in facing the known than the unknown. That's a great point. Yeah, the, the whole NFC East is kind of like, you don't, you don't know what you're going to get. I mean, first of all, we don't even know who's going to come out of that uh, division. Theoretically, I guess any, what, I guess any one of those three teams could still even well, uh, win. Well, yeah, it. and so, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt, Rich, yeah. but they struggled against that Giants defense too. Right. That's still somewhat of an unknown to me. So whether it's, you know, whether it would be New York or, or, uh, or, um, uh, Washington, right. y- you know, to me, those are still two pretty unknowns. Right. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I, I think you, the, the known quantity in the home game. Yeah. I, I don't think you can underestimate that, that travel too. Cause again, if you, if it stays where it is at this very moment, then the Rams are the number three seed and let's say you get Washington or the Giants at home. And then, yeah, then in the next round, you're probably going to have to make another long trip. You're probably going to go to, uh, I would assume, either Green Bay or or New Orleans. Um, so it, that's not going to be an easy one. So if, if you can get that little bit of rest uh, at home, and uh, I, I think you go for it. I mean, the other thing, Jordan, it's, it's not unreasonable based on the way some of these games are played out. Again, they're only a game behind uh, Green Bay and and New Orleans, uh, and with with three to play, it's I, I don't think uh, I don't think they're going to get there for that number one seed. But as long as it's a, an opportunity, as long as you're still alive for that, I think you absolutely you go for it. You try to win your next three games and and hope that uh, you know both of those teams take a, a little bit of a stumble because oh, yeah. uh, you know especially in a year where where only one team is going to get that first round by i i absolutely would have your eyes on that a hundred percent even if it meant again playing all your starters in in week 17 if if you're, if you're still alive for that uh, situation then I, I think you absolutely have to go for it yes and fun stat alert so they actually the rams there it's a small chance but i am saying there is a chance there is a five percent chance that they actually seal the the one seed in the NFC. So, right. yeah, you want to run the table through and then sort of hope for for the assist <laughs> from somebody else. Right. They've gotten they've gotten some help. They've got a couple of lucky breaks here and there down the stretch. Um but yeah, I mean 5%, so not a huge chance, not even a uh not even a medium chance, but there is still a chance. So, I I just know that you know, it's going to be fascinating. It's going to be really fun. Um you know, I have a confession to make, Rich. Uh, okay. I have actually, now that I think about it, other than a wild card game, I have not covered a playoff team. Wow. I have covered several top 10 draft picks. <laughs> <laughs> that must be our, our friend Daniel Popper, who covers the, the Chargers, has has covered nothing but but just terribleness in his entire career. He went from covering the Jets to covering the Jaguars, and now he's covering the Chargers. This this young man does not know what it is like to watch a good football team. He also so, covered the Knicks. Yes, even worse, even <laughs> worse. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's pretty amazing, Jordan. How does it feel? I mean, are you are you is it going to be weird to actually cover like football in January? It's gonna feel really good. January is my birthday month, so I'm oh, mani- I'm manifesting positivity. And great experiences um, throughout. So I think that 
this is going to be, I mean, it's, it's going to be fun because everything just gets so, everything just ramps up to the, to the next level. You know, the, the storylines are, are more interesting. There's more sort of scrutiny on, on each and every organization. Um, and, and I'm going to be interested to see how they're going to even handle a playoff situation in the first place, because again, they are slow to make any sort of decision in that regard. But what I do know is that we're really going to enjoy covering it for you guys who are listening and, and all of our um, subscribers over the at theathletic.com. And if you subscribe to The Athletic through our podcast, guess what you get? You get a great discount. My favorite thing in the world, a great discount. Guys, there's always a discount running if you subscribe to The Athletic through the 11 Personnel Podcast. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jordan Rodriguez, J-O-U-R-D-A-N. You can follow Rich on Twitter um, and definitely go check out his his awesome column over at The Athletic. It's live right now. You can follow him on Twitter at Rich underscore Hammond. And I think we're, you know, we're really starting to uh, to hit our stride here, much much like the Los Angeles Rams. And, and Rich, I, I, I read a really nice review on on Apple Podcasts the other day. Yeah, so so appreciative. Yeah, the, the the you can tell that we're we're getting more comments, uh, getting more interaction on Twitter. Love it. Uh, that's that's why we do this. We uh, love reaching everybody. Tell tell a friend, tell a fellow Rams fan, and we, we do appreciate those those kind comments uh, on Apple Podcast and the ratings, and and most of all for you listening. Hope everybody is uh, off to a, a good holiday season, and uh, we'll enjoy some Rams football. And I know Jordan. We'll be there every day for you with with awesome content, so definitely follow along with her. Thanks, guys.